you know, it's so complex, really, and and because it's so people driven on the customer side and on the company side, the the broad set of skills that you need to be really good at selling, to be at that very top. I haven't declined a single outreach. You know, I've had former people from my team. I've had colleagues from way back. I've had you know, recruiters and companies I've never heard of and startups and VCs and you know, all these people that I've either been connected to or have reached out to me. And I've said yes to every conversation. Welcome to Growth Pulse, the B2B sales podcast. You might be a salesperson. You could lead a sales team. Maybe run a business or you're a battle-tested entrepreneur. Then we built this podcast for you. Great salespeople are built, not born. We learn so much from the deals we win, but we learn even more from the deals we lose. In each episode, we bring you some of the world's leading salespeople, sales leaders, and experts in sales tech to share their best lessons from both their wins and their losses. Before we start, Please check out the screen of your phone or laptop, and if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you've clicked subscribe and press that like button down below. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, hit the plus sign to follow so we can let you know when we publish each new episode. If you like the episode, drop us a comment with any questions about the show. We'd love to get to know our audience. Great businesses always feature world-class salespeople, and the best salespeople are always learning. So let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Growth Pulse, the B2B sales podcast. I'm Dan Bartels and here with Simon Peterson, my co-host, we're super excited to have John Moran join us. John, mate, we all worked together for such a long period of time and we are so excited to have you on the show after a bit of a hiatus for uh, Christmas and New Year's and bits and pieces, mate. So welcome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Simon, Welcome, what have you John. been doing over the break, mate? Anything, anything particularly exciting? Mate, I've been, it's interesting. I'm back in a, a company that has a January to December fiscal year. So for the first time in about 10 years, I got to finish my fiscal year at around Christmas time. So I was able to have a lovely break with the family. It's, it's a novelty. So many years of finishing a fiscal year in January. It's an absolute pleasure. And I, advice to people if you can find a find a great company that has a december fiscal close out of january i recommend it highly my family was delighted oh, mate, I, I have the same thing Simon. it's the first time i think in about 13 years that i haven't had a, a january close and we, we went to thailand for, for two for two weeks and i was like there's no pressure january's perfect no. i love january now <laughs> january your pain guys i know exactly what you mean my, yeah. my, my my wife hasn't got any stipulations about the company I join next, but she but that one, please make it not yes. a January thirty one year end. <laughs> you don't think about those things when you join a business, and you well, know where does your financial year end? Where do your quarters end? I find myself yeah. googling it. I, you know, company reaches out, has some interest. You go, okay, what's your what's your fiscal year? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, look, look, we're, we're, the three of us are all, you know, quite experienced sales heads. You know, John, I, I want to give everyone a bit of, a bit of sort of your background, mate. You, you've done a, a bunch of things across a, a career and a very illustrious career at Salesforce. Mate, I want to give you a, a couple of minutes, sort of, you know, give everyone a bit of, bit of your background and a bit of what you're kind of looking to do next. I know you've kind of stepped out of Salesforce after a very long period, which, which is, you know, you're, you're looking at the, the next team to join. But, mate, what, you know, what, what have you been doing in the last period? Well, the last six months I've been on a career break. 
which I was telling Simon before we started today that it's the first time in my career that I've taken this much time. And it was a bit foreign to me, I've got to say, the idea of not getting up and, and, and jumping into work each day. But it kind of grows on you, you know. We've done a bit of travel as a family and then I've had the whole Christmas New Year period with zero pressure other than the idea that one day I've got to go back and find a paying job so that I can keep, keep running this, keep the ship afloat. But it's, it's been a really good break. Before that, obviously, I finished a full 10 years at Salesforce, almost to the day. So a decade there. I, you know, and if I look back at my career, I've sort of done, I, I did a decade at Oracle when I first started. I then was, went to Siebel Systems, which got acquired by Oracle, found myself back at Oracle. Did a short period of time with a private equity-owned software turnaround, if you like, which was an interesting one and kind of was, was really good for me in the sense of really helping me understand, you know, what, what a poorly run business looks like and what you need to do to, to turn that around and how to prioritize your investments to get that business performing. And then from there, Left into Salesforce and uh, met you lovely gents and, and uh, a bunch of other really talented people at Salesforce and had an amazing decade there. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been a really, really rich career journey for me and a really enjoyable one. So looking for, looking for the next gig now, I've just, cool. just begun the process of trying to identify what I want to do next. And I'm being, you know, really thoughtful about what's next for me. I feel like I've got a lot to offer. But I also want to join a company that's, you know, really sparks interest in me and gets me excited what they're doing as a company, the people I'm going to be working with, and the mission of my role is important to me at this point so that I've got enough scope to really use the experience that I've, that I've got and do a bit of learning while I'm at it. That's yeah, great. We never stop learning, do we? I mean, that's, I think that's one of the things that was instilled to me in my time at Salesforce in particular was you might know a heap, but how much there, there is possibly to learn from your colleagues, from the organizations, from your customers as well? I, I think sales is one of those disciplines that you never truly master. Yeah. You know, it's so complex really. And, and because it's so people driven on the customer side and on the mm -hmm. company side, the, the broad set of skills that you need to be really good at selling, to be at that very top you know, that top 10% of salespeople globally, it's just so broad. And so there are always gaps and there are always opportunities to learn. And, and the domain changes too. You yeah. know, the, the, the needs of the customer change and shift, the knowledge of the customer changes and shifts, and you have to adapt to that. So it's one of those disciplines that you never truly feel like you've got a 100% handle on. And so I think there's always a learning opportunity. And that's a good thing to keep in mind as a salesperson. You never know everything. And you always need to be curious and to some degree humble so that you can take on those learning experiences. I was going to say, John, you've had a, you know, you've had six months to sort of sit back and as you said, enjoy some time with the family. I'm curious, you know, I've had a career break and it, it changed my perspective on what I wanted out of my next gig. It, it gave me ch chances to relax a little bit. What do I love? What do I not love? Have you found, what have you learned over the last couple of months? Obviously, you're thinking about your career, what you want to do next. You've had some time off. What, what are some of the reflections on you know, just having some space in your life that you're not running from you know, forecast to forecast to forecast, quarter to quarter to quarter? Well, I think the main thing, Simon, is I feel 
had I made a decision straight away when I left Salesforce to leap into something new, I, I think it would have looked a lot like what I was doing at Salesforce. It feel you know you, you're in a you get in a groove, and you know role comes along and you go I I I recognise all of this you know I'm doing it now, in this role I can just lift and shift and just apply those same principles here for a different brand and a different you know value proposition and just go, and there's something very comfortable about that. So I guess the more time I've had, the more distance I've put between the last job and and my and my decision has just, I think, invited in more options. And I've I've taken the time to talk to a lot of people. I haven't declined a single outreach. You know, I've had former people from my team. I've had colleagues from way back. I've had, you know, recruiters and companies I've never heard of and startups and VCs and all these people that I've either been connected to or have reached out to me. And I've said yes to every conversation. And I think what that's done is just opened my eyes to all of the choices I have, which to some extent makes the decision harder, get a bit of choice fatigue and, and think, why, why can't this be a bit simpler? But, it, but I feel like I'll make, well, certainly a more informed decision, but also choose something that is holistically going to be better for me over the next five to 10 years. And it may mm-hmm. not look like what I was doing. It might look quite different to what I was doing, but I, but it, it will be it'll be different because it'll it'll give me a real learning and development opportunity, and an ability maybe to flex some muscles that I didn't get to flex as much as I would have liked in the last role. So, you know, I'm I'm a very curious job hunter at the moment, and you know, really inviting every possibility. And obviously, I need to narrow it down over the next few weeks and months, and 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 make a decision. And uh, you know, hoping that. Next time I'm on your podcast, I'll be telling you about my success in the next gig. Last kind of 12 to 18 months doing a, a bunch of different work with different organizations, and I'm just stepped into a new business as well in, in the fintech space. One of the things that I've found has been a, a real area of development for most organizations is actually understanding how forecasting works. Even And it's one of the things that, that if I look back on my time at Salesforce and Financial Force that... It was that core piece that SaaS companies in particular, and I think there are some different industries that that have a you know a much longer term industries. And I spent some time working in retail, and they get forecasting you know from a very different flavor right for production and different bits and pieces. But really understanding from a sales front, you know how do we as sales leaders approach forecasting? So, like, I wanted to start with you, John. I mean, you've run some some amazing teams in the time that, that I've known you, and and some some really big deals, but also some 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 organ- built underneath that some high velocity programs as well with, with with other teams that have to flow into that. How like how do you think about forecasting at an like an organizational level first, and then as we go through the conversation, I want to sort of go back to the end and and talk about how we think about it as a as an AE or as as a person owning a quota. But as a sales leader on a business, you know, running a business or running a revenue stream, how do you think about forecasting? And it's a broad subject because getting it right requires the system to work. And it's, it's, it's a forecasting system that produces the best result. Prior to Salesforce, most places I worked, the art of forecasting was much more dominant over the science of forecasting. And so the... It was very much about the personality of a sales leader, their gut feel, their instinct, their read. You know, that dominated 
the forming of a forecast. And so you had high levels of variability based on the individuals. And of course, the underpinnings that, that fed the data into the, you know, the forecasters spreadsheet or, or, or forecasting app were, were, were widely varied too. So you got high variability. So the first thing I would say is forecasting is about building a cult, the right culture of forecasting. And look, there is an art to forecasting, no doubt. There is, there are, there is definitely a lens that needs to be placed over the numbers and the raw data where judgment is required. The more um, you can build a culture of forecasting right through the organization from the top to the bottom, the more reliable the data and then the, you know, the less absolute judgment it plays a role. Um, the other thing I would say is there's a big mistake that gets made at leadership level in the forecasting world. And that that mistake is the conflation of forecasting versus performance. So forecast is an indication of where we're going to land, right? Where we're going to land this month, where we're going to land this quarter, where we're going to land this year. Um, that gets conflated with performance. So when the number the, t- the number that's being forecast is disappointing up the chain, pressure gets applied downwards that the number's not good enough and it needs to be improved. So the number improves, right? Because the forecast at the end of the day is a number you can adjust. And so forecasts get adjusted, expectations get shifted, but has the actual predicted performance of the business really changed or is it just downward pressure for performance creating a forecast gap? So what you end up with quite often in these situations where performance looks on the you know below target is you get two problems rather than one. You have a performance problem because you're not quite hitting the mark and you have a forecasting problem because you're not landing where you said you're going to land. And so that's a huge issue in most organizations because they use the forecast as a weapon for to drive performance in the organization. That that's a that that's something that 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 is, you know, not a straightforward thing to resolve because at the end of the day, those pressures are always going to be there. And you know, forecasting is effectively expectations. So having high expectations is a prerequisite to high performance. There's no doubt about it. So there are that's that's a there's a nuance to how you do this. Like just accepting a low forecast so people could feel comfortable that they're not going to miss is equally a poor a poor outcome for forecasting. So it's that sweet spot where someone is pushing themselves but not over indexing where they might land because of performance pressure. That's the sweet spot of forecasting that you need to build into your culture. And there's a million more things too, but that's certainly they're my opening thoughts yeah. about you know how I approach the problem of forecasting. Yeah, Simon, I know we've talked with some of our leaders over time about there's as much sin in under, in undercalling a number as there is overcalling a number, and it's that accuracy yep. piece that I think is is really important, right? So I know you taught me a whole heap of stuff around in that space. How with with some of the businesses you've been in since we've worked together, but also before, like. How do how do you approach from like I suppose a a mindset perspective or a or a, or a leadership perspective? How do you approach forecasting? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think quite often I get asked about you know, my leadership style or what you've learned over the years, who's turned you into what you are. And I think probably one of my earlier memories in sales was learning about what not to do on a forecast. And I think John, you had a really interesting concept there, weaponizing the forecast. That was my first experience with going through forecasts and I was at the other big ARP company that you didn't work for. And and I, I just remember forecasts being 
frenetic, angry, lots of screaming and yelling. I remember we used to do a forecast on a, on a Monday. We ended up having to change that because the, the leadership team decided that their weekends were destroyed about uh, worrying about what they were going to forecast on the Monday. So I think they're fundamental for me in, in good forecasting is trust. And I think you, it, it, there's a human aspect to it and there's a thematic aspect to it. And I think we've all worked with probably some of the best systems, software systems that, that can turn you know, an aggregate of hundreds and hundreds of opportunities, boil it down to the linearity of month one, month two, month three, what am I going to do this quarter? What am I going to do this half, this year, et cetera? And I think that's great. But I think underpinning it, John, as you quite rightly mentioned, is you know, selling is an innately human activity. And I think you, you need to build trust with your, your sales team. And, I, and by trust, I certainly don't mean you know, forecast 50% of your number and thank you very much, we're all good. But you want a high-performance culture, so you want people to be pushing the envelope. But I think you need some consistency in the way you assess your sales team and the way they look at their deals. Have they got the right stakeholders involved? Do they really understand the buying cycle of the company? And you boil that up into an AE's forecast, you then roll that across 60, 70, 80 AEs, and then as a leader, you need to bring that together and give a number that's got a some semblance of logic. But I do think fundamental to getting a good forecast is, is trust, and, and trust goes both ways. You need to trust your salespeople and they need to trust you. And I think when I, when I bring a new AE on board, one of the first things I, I do is I say, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay not to know what your next steps are in a deal. What's not okay is to sit there and not say anything because if you have that as a culture, that bubbles up and you end up with people predicting deals coming in when they're just not going to happen and that just cascades across the business. So I think for me, you know, I, I guess the human side of forecasting is is often overlooked and I think less so in 2024. But I, I do remember in the 90s, it was a very male-dominated, ego-driven, angry type of meeting. And I think, thankfully, that, that's gone away for the most part that I've seen. So I think, for me, it's, it's got to be a two-way conversation. I, the most stress I've ever had in my professional career is walking into forecasts where I'm not certain of the number that I'm yeah. forecasting. And that, that's the most stress. Yeah. It's, it's worse than getting through a you know an, an average pre-sales demo or an average sales meeting with a customer that the most stress i've personally felt i remember at salesforce robert zimmerman looked at me at my after my first forecast he said, simon are you okay because i was really wound up and stressed and he taught me a great a great lesson actually he said you just got to relax the forecast is the forecast be as accurate as you can and trust the people around you and that was a, a fantastic piece of advice and i think my stress levels just went down but i think yeah, new sales leaders, people that have taken on a big team, the whole concept of forecasting is, is a bit discombobulated sometimes. No, no doubt. And look, it's wherever uncertainty is involved, there's a certain amount of anxiety, right? And, yeah. and, and forecasting is by its own, by its nature, it's an uncertain process, right? So um, a certain level, I mean, I actually feel, walking into a forecast call, you should always feel a certain level of Let's call it stress. I'll call it healthy stress. One of the, one of the things that I, I think is really relevant for how 
we think about forecasting when you're either building a team or you're building a division or a business is you, you both mentioned like turning up to a call and you know you've got a forecast either I'm calling the number up or I'm calling it down or I've got a bit of anxiety one of my experiences has always been that anxiety is always driven when you don't know the data or the detail about your deal underneath right you've got a maybe you're a leader you've got a rep that you know, you've opened up some of their deals. There's nothing there. <laughs> there's yep. no information. There's there's no next steps. There's no dates. You have no idea what's going on. So all of a sudden, you've got all this all this anxiety. And as a, and as a rep, your experience is, but I've got this great connection with this customer, and they told me in this call, and 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 I'm I'm relying back to kind of what what you mentioned before, John. It's kind of the sort of the 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 gut feel rather than the rather than the logic behind it, right? One of the things that I, I learned at Salesforce, and, and I suppose this is helping companies deploy this stuff for so long, is sort of how important building a system underneath it is. And it doesn't need to be a serum. There's a whole bunch of different technologies that are available for it. But I think it's the, it's the culture or the, or the, and I led into and said, okay, so, you know, how important, not just in the technology systems, because, you know, CRMs are just one piece of technology from business needs. But you know, a whole bunch, but it's but it's so much more about the culture and the the business practice process around it. And through to you saying, how do you build the culture? I mean, you guys have Simon. You know, I, I worked in, in in your team for a long time, and you know, one of the things I always give you credit for is is that sort of that culture piece that that we definitely built in the the two the two teams we're a part of. Mm-hmm. How do the two of you approach like understanding, giving that salesperson the confidence of? We're going to uncover gaps, and this is not this is an assessment, an objective assessment around the health of this engagement and the work to be done, rather than rather than a punitive kind of assessment of what you have or haven't done, and this is an assessment of your performance. How do you? That's a really nuanced message. How do you build that when you don't have it to start with? I think yeah, sure. I think Dan. It, it's an interesting one. First and foremost, you've got to lean in with your AEs. You get to know them. One of the things I love to do, or you bring a new AE in and you spend some good quality time getting to know them as a person. What what get you know what gets them out of bed in the morning? What motivates them? You're obviously going through a process and hiring top talent, so you, you know there's some basic skills there. But I, I I think first and foremost, you want to make the environment safe. And I think the thing that kills me in a lot of sales organizations is a inherent view that because I'm more senior than you, I know more than you about all of your deals. So I want people to feel like we're all in it together. We'll roll our sleeves up. Yes, I've got a, a more senior role in a, in a hierarchy, but when it comes to the deal, we are equal players in trying to understand what to do next. And I think when you start acting in that way, I'll say to a rep, look, I've got no idea what you do next. What are your thoughts? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So I'm not telling them what to do. I'm I'm uncovering their – most people I have working my sales team are way better salespeople than me. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So my job is to help them uncover it. And I think making them feel really safe about debating and figuring out the best approach to doing it, bringing in people that aren't necessarily part of the deal for a new pair of eyes on the deal, et cetera. So really making them feel comfortable just feeling like they're – Surrounded by people that have genuinely have their back, want to help them get to be successful, close the deal, whatever it may be. And what, so when they come to a point where they don't know the answer, they just say, Hey, Simon, I don't know what to do here. And 
look, if I know what to do, I'll say, hey, have you thought about this or that? And But admit that sometimes I may not have the right answer. So bring other people in. I, I love the concept of reps helping other reps. And I think if you build a culture of A's helping each other, and it's, it's, this may sound trite, but first thing I always do is I set up a WhatsApp group amongst the salespeople. And there's a bit of banter there to start with. You know, they'll share pictures of what they've cooked or whatever they've done. But then you start getting a very informal line of communication outside of a formal deal review, outside of a forecast where people are asking each other and bouncing off each other. And I'm seeing that where I am today. It's There's probably 50 messages a day in a what's group of 10, 15 reps. And it's all productive. It's it's But they're all helping each other and they're all building each other's confidence. And I think that's fairly fundamental to the the beginnings of building a team. I think, look, I harp on about this every time, but it's about empathy too. I, I, I try and put myself in the shoes of the rep. If they're new to the business, what don't they know? You know what would I have struggled with? If I'm you know, trying to show that I'm a really good rep, what's, what am I likely to be doing? And, and just make them feel comfortable. And I think empathy is a big part of it. It's one of the things that I, that I see organizations try to try to discover in themselves is how to set up their process to, to earn, right? That everyone's trying to sell in any organization trying to sell stuff. But they focus on I need more information about my customer or I need to work out, you know, how to, what, what products I should sell better, what my pricing number should look like. But the, the problem is the forecast is almost one of those pieces that it's almost where all the information has like one singular point that you can manage and and it's it, you discover is it real is it where do i need to drill into where do i need to put more effort into you know my territory carving doesn't work you know my my my, my design of my my year nine months ago wasn't the right design because we're failing the forecast i need to you know i i, I need to develop my team better here because i don't understand a product set all those things kind of come into come into culmination forecast but it's, it's built also, you mentioned something really crucial there is actually managing up as well. That piece of saying, Hey, listen, the rep is just giving us the reality of where this deal is at right now. This is not an empirical measure of that person's value or not. This is the reality of where we are. We are going to hit or we're not. Let's not, you mentioned earlier, right? Let's not just tell the person that number is not good enough. That's a different issue which is the performance of the organization to hit to a target, et cetera. The reality of where this deal is at is where this deal is at. Now, now let's decide what the problem is. And our solution can be move the target. The solution can be find more deals. The solution can be sell more stuff. Solution might be go back a couple of steps to go forward in the deal to make the deal bigger. But the empirical like information of like, where is this at? You've got to get a baseline. And I think that's as a leader, it's, it's that. That sin of where is it really at? And look, I, I will say though, there's a layer which is we've all seen that rep that undercalls, the rep that overcalls, and there's a bit of that. But that then becomes back to you've got to you've got to coach that person. Like, what's the real nut? So I mean, what what are you kind of pushing in that sort of AE level up? Now, what do you think is that you know the the most important piece of of making a change at, at that individual contributor level? I think. Yeah, I was going to reflect there on, you know, you've got different types of personalities, you know, the sandbagger, the one that has happy ears, et cetera. I think identifying people's personalities is, is pretty important. But I think, and I'd be interested in actually your, your opinion as well, 
Dan, as well as John, but you, you, you've run organizations with people that are very new to sales, people that are sort of mid-career, and then your senior enterprise salespeople. You've got to treat them differently. You, you, you've got to understand that they've got a different frame of reference, yeah. different level of experience. And I'm, I'm curious, Dan, I mean, you've had sales teams from, you know, you know first, first job in sales, people have been doing it for four or five years, and then, you know, seriously experience. Do you, do you see, what do you see that's different about the way people forecast where they are in their career? And I guess, you know, there are people listening to this podcast, most, most AEs that listen to this, they, they want some advice on how to deal with a forecast. And I think, you know, my advice to people is don't be verbose. Don't be the storyteller. Don't spend 25 minutes yep. telling us about what's going on. Yeah, short, sharp to the point. I notice as people yep. move through their careers, it gets short, sharp, and to the point. So that's what I've experienced people learning. Curious about what your experience is. Yeah. My experience, and it, I, it's actually not related to where you, where you are in, in your sales career. I think people can fall in and out of the, these bad behaviors no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've said that I've, I've used this catchphrase a hundred times on this podcast already, but the thing that I learned from my time at Salesforce and understanding what, and also selling financial force and understanding what, it, what, an, what the data of a business is, it's about if you want everyone on the same page, there better be a page. And the concept behind that is it allows you, if you've written things down, if you've got the information and the right records, if you've just got a plan for this engagement, if you've got a plan for the next step, if you've got a plan for the problem you're going to try and resolve now, it actually means that the sales process is not about you trying to convince anyone to do anything on the other side. It's about you helping them find a solution to a problem they've identified. Mm. I've never convinced, I've been a, a career salesperson to this date. I've never convinced somebody to do something they didn't already want to do. So I'm just helping them through the process. So now when I give a forecast, if all that information on, on an individual deal, all that information is there. And now I'm reporting what they're telling me their timelines look like. I'm now telling them they want to solve this problem, therefore, you know, the, the quantified value of, of what they're going to spend because we've actually identified what, what we, you know, the products or services or solutions they're going to buy. It looks like this. And when I go to the aggregate of all of my deals, it's a pretty simple process because now I can rank the order of my deals and I can say this is what it looks like. Whereas, and your question is, you know, between the, the early person in their career to the, the person late in their career, when all of a sudden I start getting stories about the reason that this doesn't work or the reason that this, what it means is none of it's written down. And, and my, my viewpoint on this and the piece that I try to teach people no matter what level of career they're in is I don't want your story, your, your point of view on this is actually pretty irrelevant. I want the customer's point of view on this because they're the person that's going to sign the check and put the order form in, right? And so I want, what have they told me? What have you been able to pull out of them? So to me, it's all about how do you actually get that level of, of, of nuance or that level of viewpoint on what's happening? And when you get that, all of a sudden forecasts become like super accurate mm-hmm. and someone's actually, and, and even down to the pieces, and we've all seen this in our time, all of your deals are sitting on the 31st of the month. You made that date up. 
unless yep. unless there's an end of month special. If you buy on the 29th to the 31st, you get 10% off, right? If you if that if that's when it is, or you're giving me a month, you made that month up. Yep. Or it's because, a Saturday. You know, it's I, gonna, I love the Saturday deal. Or goes. it's a Saturday. Order, <laughs> like there's things that just jump out and you go, these are like this is all made up. And when it's made up, it's like, well, okay, that's okay. Our problem now is to go and find out the reality of what's happening for our customer, what they're mm-hmm. looking at, what problem they're trying to solve, where they're at in their process. And then, yes, we've got some stuff on our side, but that piece to me is, and, and again, you can have some people who've been amazing enterprise sellers and have forgotten this over time. You've had people early in their career who get it and they just, I'm going to write everything down and they've got an ant, like they, they know the answer to everything in this deal. Giving them some, you mentioned some structure, John, giving them some structure in a process and a deal. Now, all of a sudden, the forecast process, process becomes like it's, it's just a, an articulation of what's already happening. And, and there's almost no pressure to it. They're above the number, they're below the number, but that's the number. Like that's what it is. That's what it's going to be. There's two or three deals that will fall in or out. These are the pressures on that. And I'll find out about them on Tuesday. Yeah, thanks so much for joining the, joining the podcast. I think that's been a, a really productive conversation for, a, for myself and for our listeners as well. It's always good to remind myself. For everyone listening, look, if, you can, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, click the plus sign to subscribe to the, the podcast itself. If you're watching on YouTube, click, click down below, click it, give us a, a like and a subscribe. Hey, and if you're looking for a, a phenomenal new sales leader, look up John Moran on LinkedIn. He's looking for his, <laughs> his next great opportunity. John, Simon, thanks so much, guys. You guys have a wonderful weekend. We're recording on Friday and look forward to talking to you all soon.